1: There is a crisis of Christ-centered attitudes in the Christian church today. If we are to realize our goal and aim to take the gospel of the world,
0: we must have the attitudes that God has for us through the Holy Spirit. That's Pastor Michael Tanko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Today's broadcast is entitled The Church of Smyrna and the Call to Faith. That's The Church of Smyrna and the Call to Faith, and we do hope that you enjoy it. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast. I'll have information on how you can attend the worship service in person if you would like. You can also attend anytime online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. We brought to you the first portion of this message the last time we were together, but we will complete it here now today. You can catch it online at reachingyourheart.com. Let's get underway. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Loxentenko, with the conclusion to the Church of Smyrna and the call to faith. Here's Pastor Mike.
1: Romans ten twelve. for there's no distinction. Between Jew and Greek, the same Lord is Lord of all and bestows his riches upon all who call upon him. Verse 13, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Galatians 3.28, Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Heirs according to the promise. I don't know about you, but I confess Jesus today. Do you? Okay, if you do, you're a spiritual child of Abraham. You are a spiritual Jew, according to the Bible. And do not be ashamed of your Jewish heritage, which is based on the word of God in apostolic order. In verse 9, Jesus says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. In the letter to Smyrna, we find no rebuke at all. I mean, In fact, it's a church where Christ doesn't try to straighten it out at all. But in the letter, the seventh letter to the church of Laodicea, there is nothing but rebuke and there's no praise at all. And so these two churches stand as a contrast in the seven churches. The church of Smyrna is the opposite in many ways of the church of Laodicea. The church of Laodicea is rich and increased with goods and has need of nothing, including Jesus. The church of Smyrna endures poverty and it has trouble and it also has Jesus. And it's very clear in the text, it says, you are rich. Friend, I would rather have Jesus than prosperity theology. I would rather have Jesus than this notion that God gives me a reward so I can be a Christian. I would rather have Jesus and go through eight years of struggle to build a church because Christ is on the road than to sell out early, to just surrender faith, to abandon God's evidences. And just to believe the Lord's not with us because times are hard. Friend, if Jesus is with you, it doesn't matter what the externals are. The church of Laodicea and the apocalypse needs Jesus Christ because it is in danger of becoming a faithless, world-centered body of believers that doesn't believe in Him. And so they need faith tried in the fire. The church of Smyrna has faith in the resurrected Lord, and so it endures through that experience. Jesus tells the church of Laodicea that he's ready to spit it out of his mouth unless it repents. Sometimes it's easy to feel that if you are being persecuted or if you've experienced tribulation in your life that Jesus doesn't care about you. You ever feel that way? (laughs) Sure you have. I mean, you know, if, if you're having a rough time, Lord, why are you letting me go through that? Lord, why can't I prosper when I become a Christian? Why is it rough? Why, why did our health break down as soon as I started moving forward? Why do I have these relationship issues? Why do I have these faults of character suddenly? I realize when I come close to you, friend, Jesus is closer to you in trouble than when things are going good. You don't even know it. It's easy to rely on your circumstances. If you have a fat bank account, yeah, rely on that. But that's not what God wants in your life. He wants you to rely on Christ. He wants you to know the power of the resurrected Lord. So guess what? Trouble is your friend. When you're in trouble, Jesus is the treasure in faith. He's the redeemer, and he's the one who delivers. He can't deliver you if you don't need delivering. So he allows you to go through things so you know you need him. And so Jesus is the treasure, and faith is the hand that lays hold of the promises of God that are in Jesus. The church of Smyrna endured its challenges, which are really blessings. Let's just look at them in brief. Challenge number one, tribulation, really a blessing. Challenge number two is poverty, really a blessing. Challenge number three is slander, believe it or not, a blessing. In the Sermon on the Mount, and the Gospels, Jesus provided promises for these three challenges. He taught very clearly that all three of these challenges are in fact blessings if you have Christ. So challenge number one, tribulation is a blessing. Tribulation can be overcome in your life because Jesus has already overcome the world and overcome for you in life. Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. John 16, I have said this to you, that in me you may have peace. You want peace? Without Jesus, you won't have it. He says, I have said this to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Challenge number two is poverty, but it's really a blessing. Poverty is a blessing in disguise because it brings the kingdom of God to a heart that seeks heaven's riches. Matthew 5, three, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now Luke 6.20, Jesus says it in a more personal kind of way. He recognizes his disciples. He's looking at them when he says it. Look at the text, Luke 6.20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. When Christ looks down on you, and he looks at you with the loving eyes that died for you, He says, blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Challenge number three, slander is really a blessing. Slander for Jesus' sake is evidence that you are a citizen of God's kingdom. Remember Satan slandered God in the beginning. and God has had to endure it ever since. I mean, the devil challenged God. He said he was misusing his authority and power. He challenged Jesus Christ who was standing up for God. And that's how it all got started. And if you are experiencing the same thing in your life, if you are, you belong to God's kingdom because you are sharing the sufferings of Christ and the sufferings of God. Matthew 5.11 Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now the group identified as slanders in Revelation 2.9 claim to be Jews when they are really just a synagogue of Satan. Remember that the early apostles were Jews. But there were other Jews who refused to accept Jesus Christ. And certain ones, not all, but certain ones of these Jews persecuted those who became Christians. We know this from history. When the early Christian martyr Polycarp was being burned at the stake, some of those false Jews picked up sticks on the Sabbath to burn him alive. People who would not do any work based on the law of Moses on the Sabbath day had no problem breaking God's law to collect the wood to burn a follower of Jesus Christ alive on the Sabbath day. There were Jews who protected those early Christians too. And God has numbered every one of these precious children of Abraham. And they will have their place in the kingdom of God. You see, a person may not understand the gospel. But if that person loves a brother that Jesus died for and he sticks his neck out for them, that person has exercised faith whether they can define it or not. And in the judgment day, they are children of Abraham. And there were Christians in World War II who protected Jews who died to save them too. And you can't tell me that they're not brethren to those they saved and died for. Love breaks down barriers and faith in Jesus provides a circle of concern for others, whoever they are. So when a man or woman uses his or her energy to persecute the church of Christ and to destroy it, when in pious self-righteousness they claim that they can bring down the church of Christ or they manipulate and connive to do it, as far as God is concerned, that person has become a member of the synagogue of Satan. They may go to church and they may play religion, they may look pious, but if they reach out their hand to destroy the church of God, they are demonically inspired. They are a synagogue of Satan. Now in the sixth plague... The battle of Armageddon will be instigated. This is just like, you know, the Bible turns things on its head. The great battle of Armageddon is not some battle of atheism against Jewish people or believers. It's really instigated in the book of Revelation by a religious mob of men and women motivated by demons who are Christians gone wrong, who try to convince the kings of the earth to destroy the people of God who have faith in Jesus Christ. That's what brings the battle of Armageddon. Now look at Revelation sixteen thirteen. The Bible says, And I saw issuing from the mouth of the dragon, from the mouth of the beast, and from the mouth of the false prophet, what does it say? Three foul spirits like what? Frogs. Now, we know in the book of Revelation that there are three angels' messages that prepare the world for the coming of Christ. And so here are three counterfeit messages which are meant to subvert the truth of God in the Christian world. And so here is a compromised false notion of prophetic truth going out to do what? Look at verse 14. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. A counterfeit prophetic three angels movement, moving to unite church and state, to destroy the truth of God, to destroy the people of God from the face of earth. In verse 14, my translation reads, they assemble them for the great battle of God Almighty. Now the word assemble in the Greek is literally synagogue. Men and women of faith who will give their hearts to demons. Religious people who claim to be Christians, they will synagogue against those who love God's word, who love God's law, who love Jesus. They have the faith of Jesus. Christ will come in the clouds of glory to end it all in the battle of Armageddon. That's how it ends. The Bible says the church of Smyrna suffered tribulation for ten days. Revelation 2.10, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a a crown of life. Now, why is there a ten-day test here? Let's ask ourselves that question. What is the number ten suggesting here? Ten. The Ten Commandments, that's right. It is a rule that whenever you're trying to follow God's law, the Ten Commandments... Satan is angry with you because you are. Now, how do I know that? The book of Revelation says so. Look at Revelation 12, 17. Now, remember, Satan is angry for ten days as a test. Look at Revelation 12, 17. Then the dragon was angry with the woman, and he went off to make war on the remnant of her seed, on those who keep the commandments of God. Yes, the Ten Commandments. And they have the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea the remnant in Revelation 12, 17 will experience the same kind of persecution the church of Smyrna did. When they go through the mark of the beast at the end of time, it's Smyrna all over again. In Revelation 13, 15, it reads that it causes them to be killed if they don't bow down to that image in the mark of the beast issue and if they don't receive the mark of the beast. Revelation 3:10 suggests that the mark of the beast is the test that is coming over the whole world to test those who dwell therein. So in Revelation 2.10, Jesus tells the church of Smyrna that the Smyrna church will be tested for 10 days. So the lesson is clear here. Connect the dots with me. To endure the mark of the beast, which is coming on the world shortly. Friend, it takes the epic attitude of Smyrna kind of faith. You have to have faith in Christ to endure difficulty. Now, now why is there a 10-day test for Smyrna? It suggests that the Ten Commandments are in play here. That whether or not they will keep God's law is part of the test. Now in Daniel one twelve, Daniel's three friends refused to drink the king's wine and to eat the king's unclean food to defile themselves with the alcohol of Babylon and so break God's law. And so they asked for a ten-day test where they would eat only good, healthy food. They would not have any alcohol or anything like that. And at the end of that 10-day test, they were vindicated in God's eyes. This 10-day test really happened in history for the church. It was a small picture of what is coming on the world at the end of time. In the Bible, one day equals one year. Doesn't it? So 1260 days in Revelation 12.6 is what? 1260 years. So 10 days is how many years? 10 years. Very good. The great persecution of the early Christian church... It was really instigated and directed by the great emperor Diocletian. Because Christians wouldn't burn incense to the emperor to recognize him as God, it became the official policy of the Roman Empire to stamp out Christianity. Those early Christians would not willingly break any of God's Ten Commandments. Now the first commandment tells us to worship God alone. The second commandment tells us to never bow down to an image. The Great Schism in 1054 When the Greek Orthodox Church broke away from that historically ancient church, they were saying, listen, forget the images. we got to obey the second commandment. But that early church, the church of Smyrna, this church of the great persecution under Diocletian, refused to offer incense to an image of the emperor and by so doing to deny Jesus Christ. For ten years, it was the official policy of the Roman Empire to destroy Christianity. The years were 303 when the edict of Diocletian took effect to 313 AD, the edict of Milan, when Constantine the Great granted religious freedom to the empire. Michael Grant in his book The History of Rome describes this great persecution on pages 404 and 405. I'm quoting, In the words of Tertullian, the blood of Christians is seed, infuriated by a period of brief tolerance in which the church prospered,
0: Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart.
1: Anger arose from pagans, such as Plotinus's pupil Porphyry, whose work against the Christians attacked them with unprecedented ferocity. And Porphyry's friends were among the instigators of the great persecution that followed in AD 303. It was launched by Diocletian. The aim of these arch regimenters was the total extermination of Christianity. It was the struggle to the death between one faith and the other, the older and the new. The first of Diocletian's edicts forbade all assemblies of Christians for purposes of worship and ordered the destruction of their churches and sacred books. In other words, they tried to destroy the New Testament. Then, further edicts in the eastern provinces commanded that the clergy, unless they sacrificed to the gods of the state, should be placed under arrest. Next, a fourth proclamation extended the requirement to every member of the Christian church, and that occurred in the year 304 AD. Friend, in one year, the heavy arm of the state clamped down on faith, and Christianity was on trial. That's exactly what's going to happen in the Mark of the Beast in this country. We have a historical picture in the Church of Smyrna of what is coming on the whole world when the whole world will be tested in that great issue. This was a foretaste of the end. What happened from 303 to 313 was like a mini Mark of the Beast test. The Mark of the Beast will be a global test that is really about God's Ten Commandment law and the faith of Jesus. Now how do I know that? Because as soon as we have the third angel's message, which warns of the Mark of the Beast, we have this statement in Revelation 14:12. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God, And the faith of Jesus. The mark of the beast will be over God's law. And if you want a picture of it, the church of Smyrna, the great persecution, we have it in history. The Bible teaches that the Smyrna kind of faith test will happen to you and me one day. Now speaking of a massacre at Phrygia, the historian Edward Gibbon, who wrote The Fall and Decline of the Roman Empire, wrote this description of what happened. On the Romans' approach, the citizens threw themselves into the church With the resolution of defending that sacred edifice or of perishing in its ruins, they rejected the notice and the permission that was given them to retire. Till the soldiers provoked, set fire to the buildings on all sides, and consumed by this extraordinary kind of martyrdom, a great number of Phrygians with their wives and children were burned alive. Friend, that's what people were willing to do to stand up for Christ during this era. That's why there's nothing negative said about the Church of Smyrna. Averin Cameron, the Later Roman Empire, page 45. The great persecution started in 8303 by Diocletian. They ended with, quote, the Edict of Milan in 313, under the leadership of the new emperor, Constantine the Great. So the great persecution, the ten years predicted by Jesus, was so successful that it almost destroyed the manuscript evidence for what has become our New Testament. It is only because of God's power and God's love that we have a New Testament in our hand today. If God had not stopped it all in the Edict of Milan in 313 AD through the Emperor Constantine, we would not have the record of Jesus' life. We would not have the Gospels and many of the letters of Paul and the other apostles. Revelation 2.10, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And what does it say next? And I will give you a crown of life. In the ancient world, if you were thrown into prison, it was usually a holding tank for your execution. I mean, they didn't like keeping people in prison long. It was expensive. This godly pastor in Iran, Pastor Yousef Nardikani, we've heard about him in the news. Have you wondered why there's no real national outcry against this kind of thing? I mean, the great country that has been the bastion of religious freedom has not mobilized to save faith in the world at the present time. It's an amazing day to be alive. This man is a living example of a faith that is willing to die to be true to Jesus Christ. He will not deny Jesus. He has stood up to the power of the state. He is on death row in Iran today because a radical Islamic nation has found him guilty of being a Christian. Now think about what that means. I ask you the question this morning, the salient question that must be asked. Are you guilty of being a Christian too? Are you guilty of being a Christian or are you just faking it to get ahead? Revelation 2.11, Jesus said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who conquers shall not be hurt by the second death. Even though the Edict of Milan ended the Great Persecution in 313 A.D., there was one final martyrdom two years later on a frozen lake that sealed it all. The year was 315 A.D. The crime was faith in Jesus Christ. The sentence was death. And the convicted men were Roman soldiers who had come to confess Jesus Christ as Lord instead of the emperor. We know of their story because it was recorded by Basil of Caesarea, who lived from 330 to 379 AD. It is known as the homily of the 40 martyrs. The emperor Lucinius had ordered that the soldiers should worship him. Forty Christian soldiers refused to offer incense to the emperor. The first took his stand that day and said, I owe no allegiance before that to my master Christ. And then he stood outside of the Roman legions and stood alone. And after him joined another who stood with him and one after another who stood until finally 40 soldiers took their stand for Jesus Christ. Now that Roman general tried everything to get them to change their mind. He didn't want them to die. He begged them to not exchange a sweet life for a bitter death. He flattered them. He told them how good they had been to just come back and things would be smoothed over. And that didn't work either. He tried to bribe them with money and that failed too. Everything failed. Their fear of God helped them overcome fear of death. And there they stood, 40 soldiers for Jesus Christ. And it was noticed that a cold north wind was blowing hard. And that night was near. And, and so finally the Roman general had them stripped. So they would freeze to death as an example to never repeat their arrogance. They were in the middle of the town there. They were just to freeze there. But they saw a frozen lake. Nearby was a frozen lake. So they walked out onto the lake. And they banded together, huddled together with arms around each other. And they sang the song of wrestlers wrestling for Christ. Forty soldiers they sang. Forty soldiers wrestling for thee, O Christ. Claim for thee the victory and from thee the crown. As the wind blew hard and the frozen feeling settled deep into the skin, the song ceased and the frozen lake grew silent. A cold stillness it was that night, cold for them. One wrestler had broken from the 40. He ran across the frozen ice. And as he got to the other side, he renounced his faith in Jesus Christ to save his hide. His friends put clothes on him and they welcomed him back to the devil's den. They patted him on the back. Well done, friend. The 40 had now become 39. And then it happened that one of the guards, a warrior standing beside the lake, he saw his comrades. He saw his fellow soldiers dying for a better king. And he longed to have the reign and rulership of a better emperor in his life. And right then and there, the gospel, in the simplest kind of way, was speaking to a hard Roman soldier's heart. And he stripped his clothes off, and he ran across the lake, and he joined the 39. Now there were 40 again. And the song continued with the hum of the north cold wind until it ceased in the night. Forty soldiers wrestling for Thee, O Christ. Claim for Thee the victory, and from Thee the crown.
0: Well, thank you so much for listening today to The Church of Smyrna and the call to faith. Today is Reaching Your Heart. You can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. And if you would like to attend in person at the church, we would love for you to do that. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org reachinghearts.org slash video the live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website reachinghearts.org slash video thanks for listening and we do pray that God is reaching your heart